0: Jesus, thank you for the word that you've put in Kewan's heart, and I pray that he would be able to communicate very well, Lord, the the values and the principles that you have um, placed in this world with motherhood and with parenthood. We ask that you would speak to us and that we would be able to adjust to your word, to put your word in practice. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, Also, happy Mother's Day from me. I was surprised at the amount of mothers in our service. We don't normally have that many. So is it the gifts, you know, come to church for the gifts maybe, or (laughs) I would, you know, it's a good gift. Uh, This gift was made, uh, especially for the moms, and I know there's been a lot of effort uh, that went into it, and uh, I hope that you do enjoy the gifts. Um, We are doing a series called A Body of Heroes, and as we're talking about, uh, as we're looking into the scriptures as a church this year, we actually... In this term, particularly, I'm focusing on some minor characters, so we're talking about certain characters that you wouldn't hear very often, um, so we're not really focusing on you know, the Pauls and the, the Davids, those names that are often talked about in church, but we're trying to look a little bit deeper at some of the characters that aren't talked about yet are vital and God-used and we want to learn from them because there's this huge body of heroes, people that the Lord used to bring about His purposes. And as we look into their lives, there is much that is applicable. And since it is Mother's Day, we are honing in on some parents that were in Scripture. And we'll look at that in a moment. But I thought to, to start to, to share something of my childhood and my experience of my own parents, and uh, I'm very privileged to have grown up with both parents married, and they're still married, and they have a wonderful marriage. They're actually here tonight. I'm not going to point them out. You can just guess who looks like me. And, um, and uh, they, they've always been incredible role models, had a wonderful marriage, and, and had four kids and four boys, so extra points in heaven for having four boys. I remember going home not too long ago where some of my younger brothers were um, not young enough for the story to make sense. They were past 14 and under 18 and I walked into the house and one had a ninja throwing star in his leg and the reason was because they'd watched the Hunger Games and decided that they wanted to play Hunger Games. They had two rules, no touching the hair and no throwing at the face and my mother's response when she came back, she, she, she did not look as alarmed as perhaps she should have been, but this was after raising four boys, and this would have been a natural experience in my household. But one of the wonderful things about my experience and what my parents did was they celebrated us as boys. And I remember from young having a sense of excitement around events like birthdays and Christmas. I want to speak about Christmas for a moment because Christmas in my household was quite an exciting event. It started from the beginning of December where there would be hints at presents being bought and my parents would go out and they'd buy presents. I never know. It felt like most of December they were out buying presents. And when we were younger, we, we, um, we had the whole uh, Santa Claus idea. And Santa was a part of our family. And, and the thing that was different in our house is, you know, Christmas morning when we arrived in the morning, there were presents. But this wasn't a, a little amount of presents. There was many presents. It was always exciting to see how many presents would be under the tree but we didn't just do uh, christmas in an average way in our family when we woke up in the morning there were the presents but there was also a scene there was a scene normally what you would see is from our fireplace towards the presents there were footprints <laughs> of snow or or you know i know it doesn't snow in south africa but in our house there was snow <laughs> Footprints walking towards it, and we put out drinks and milk and cookies or something like that. And it had been eaten, and sometimes you know you could see the crumbs strewn over it. Was this magical experience? It was a celebration, you know, treasured memory from our childhood. Uh, birthdays were also a big deal. Again, my parents would drop hints as birthdays came closer. It was something very exciting, saying you're going to get a lot of presents, and it was very exciting. And in our house, in the morning when we would wake up on your birthday, you know you need to make sure that you are sleeping with clothes on because they're going to barge into your room early, five o'clock, four o'clock sometimes, singing with a cake, candles, waking you up every morning. And I I must confess, it was sometimes a bit of a frustration for me because I don't want to wake up so, so early until my first birthday that I spent away from home. I was studying in another city and I wake up in the morning and there was no one there. No one cared, you know, and you know, so my parents phoned me, but I didn't realize that this was the experience of my childhood, and this was a, a wonderful childhood. Also, my, my, my parents, both of them, um, were for the large part at every single sports game or awards evening that we were at, and uh, this was normal to my experience. Now I realize as I talk about this, this is not many people's experience, life is tough, and sometimes there's tragedy where parents are taken away, or maybe both parents aren't in the picture, or or some don't have parents so close, and and so it's not everyone's experience, but I started by just recounting my experience, and I'm aware how privileged I am to have had that, but I want to start by saying that this is an ideal. This would be a wonderful way to grow up as a child, and I realized as I came to terms with myself the wonderful things that I received from this, a a continuous sense of being celebrated, having received love and affirmation and security that was imparted to me as a child. This was my experience. It was a wonderful experience. It wasn't perfect, but as a child, I had this deep sense of security. And an interesting thing about my family, I know when I was growing up, is we're not a very churchy family. And what I mean by that is we're not very religious. We didn't really go to church every Sunday. It would be very common to just skip church. Uh, I'm just confessing out there. We didn't. Uh, it was a little bit later in my life that we became more active churchgoers. Uh, we weren't un-Christian or anti-Christian, but we definitely weren't overtly Christian. And uh, it was in some of the later years in my life where I became more involved in church, etc. And my my whole family did. But really, those formative years, I didn't really know much about church. We'd go to church every now and then, but it didn't really play a big role in my life. It was my family. That played a big role in my life. But as I became more interested in God and got involved in church and eventually came to a time where I gave my heart to the Lord, it was not a very difficult jump for me. Because as I read and learned about the God of the Bible, I'd already experienced many of the characteristics that was talked about. For me, it was an experience. It wasn't a difficult jump. In fact, I saw many of the biblical traits in my own family. And I'd seen that modeled. I'd seen the love of the Father modeled towards me by both my parents. And so for me, it was an easier jub, jump. And as I became a Christian and was involved in religious things, it was, it was a little bit easier to believe that God is love, that God wants the best for us. And so what I've experienced in my life is just the importance of a concrete experience of love. Now, there's certain things that a family can do that church cannot do or isn't really meant to do. You know, the family is meant to be the place where you receive your security, where you receive your love, where you receive your affirmation. Unfortunately, we live in a world where the family has broken down. And in many cases, you know, the person who's affected the most is the person who is is not to blame, whether it's a parent who doesn't have a spouse due to death or something else or, or a child who has no say over the matter, they feel this effect of the breakdown in the family, and they themselves are really not to blame. Too often this is the experience. And I, as I've observed coming from a family where we really we had a good, but just seeing the effect on the breakdown of family and the effect it has on individuals, When it comes to the area of security, the ability to receive and to give love, these were originally designed by God to be taught and modeled in a family. And what has happened in the church is that because of this lack and this breakdown of family, the churches had to step into a place which was never originally meant to occupy. I wonder what your experience was like at uh, church as a younger person, maybe growing up if you've been in the church or, uh, or um, a little bit later on, if you joined in a little bit later on, I wonder if you've thought deeply through what the church, and when I talk about the church, now I'm talking about religious services, a place like this, you come to services, you're part of events, you get involved, what it can actually offer you. And I wonder if you've thought deeply about what it can't really offer you. And uh, sometimes there's a disconnect between what we expect from church and what church can give. There's a limitation because God has designed uh, the universe to work in a certain way that we're supposed to receive certain things from family and we're supposed to receive certain things from church. And so sometimes there's a breakdown, there's a disconnect. And we can be extremely frustrated if we try and get what we're meant to have gotten from family from church. If we try and say, turn our pastor, try and get from our pastor what we needed to get from our dad, and vice versa, there would be a, a frustration, because it goes against the design. Now, I'll talk about how God can come in and fix that, but there, there can be a frustration, okay? There can be a, a, a sense of, this is not quite it, this is not quite empty, this ability to give and receive love, you know, we can practice it in church, but if it, if it got messed up in our, in our family... It's not so easy to just, to just fix, isn't it? I wonder if you've experienced that in your own life. And uh, tonight I just thought we'd quickly reflect. And it was wonderful in the worship to, to reflect on our own parents. And I've shared these good st- stories about my parents and, and, it's, and it's all good. But there's no perfect family. And you would have had a, a, a great family or an average family or maybe a terrible family. But I thought I'd just want to reflect for a moment and ask you, you know, how was your upbringing? How was love modeled to you? How did the father, how did you experience the fatherhood of God busy um, growing up? Here's a question for you. Did your parents help or hinder your experience of God later on in life? As you were growing up when you were younger, did the things that they did with you, that the things that they say to you, did it help you when you came to know God, or did it hinder you? Did it help, or did it hinder? I will give you some examples. You know, I've seen um, some different models of parenting, and I think there's no one-size-fits-all, but I think one of the things that a child definitely needs is for a parent to be present, to spend time with their child. And so maybe when you were growing up, you, you would have had an experience of your parents or whoever was in your life in that place being more present or less present. I wonder if you think about uh, time back home. Was your dad present? Was your mom present? Were they at the events that were important to you? Were they at your sports games? Were they at your prize givings? Were they there in the evening when you were there? Were they there when you came home from school? And how much? Or were they not there at all? All have different experiences. And I'm quite sensitive as I talk about these things because they they affect us deeply. But uh, what I've seen for a child is that it seems that there's a waiting towards experience. You know, if you've worked with children or interacted with them, children are the hardest people to lie to. There was a, a study done, uh, there's a book called Freakonomics, and it takes economic, if anyone's read it, they take economic principles and they apply to certain other questions that economists wouldn't normally look at. And they did a study around parents and children, and they actually wanted to see the effectiveness of raising children. They wanted to link success to parenting. And what they found in the study, it was very interesting, you can go into it yourself, but, but the thing that they found accidentally was that the biggest problem for parents is that they cannot actually lie to their children. So a parent that wants their child to succeed and wants them to live a certain way, but doesn't live that way themselves, will fail to teach that to their children. So if your parent told you all the time, don't smoke, don't smoke, but they themselves were smoking, statistically the chances of you smoking would be incredibly high. Yet, if your parent was not smoking and they told you to smoke, which would be unusual, (laughs) they would be less successful in what they were saying and more successful in what they were doing. Kids tend to emulate their parents, they tend to do what their parents do instead of what their parents say. We all know this to be true, but it's actually been proven that parents cannot actually lie to their children, and so in your experience with your parents, was there perhaps a disconnect between what they said and what they did. Now, one of the challenges is if you grew up in the church, and say your parents were involved in a lot of religious activity. They were genuine Christians. They went to a lot of services. Maybe they brought you to many services. Uh, You grew up, you know, on the floor of the church. You were involved in religious things. One of the difficulties that can happen is because your parents are human, is you might begin to see the difference between what they say and what they do. And some people, I believe there's some people that are here tonight that you've heard many religious things about God, you've been told things, say by your parents or your religious parents, but there's a gap between what you've been told about God and what you've experienced about God. If you could imagine a a family, this is a, a hypothetical family, where the parents are very religious, and so they're very involved in church. They're constantly doing church activities. And so it's not good if your dad isn't there for your sports game, and you know he can be there, but he's not there. But if you as a child were told by your dad, I can't come to your sports game because I have to go on this church camp, it would... Probably affect the way that you think about church, doesn't it? And for most often for kids, because they simplified, they wouldn't do a, a, a um, they wouldn't be nuanced. They would it would affect the way they think about God, isn't it? Okay. Um, in fact, uh, if if you had a, a parent that would constantly push something towards a child, religious activity, yet they they did something different at home, or they didn't. Um, come through for the child where it really mattered, you could have a child that would grow up and would resent God and resent church. Does this happen? I think it uh, definitely happens. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't teach children about um, God and take them to church. This is all very important. But I'm talking about a, a disconnect between experience and practice, what we, things that we do, activities that we do, and the experiences that we have. And as a child, there are certain things that are quite important to us. You know, we can't skip time with our parents. It doesn't really help, no matter how good the reasons are, how much our parents explain to us that they want to be there. If they're not there, it has an effect on us, okay? And so this can have a huge effect on how we experience God. And so why I'm talking about this is so that we can reflect on the effect that our upbringing has had on us, okay? There's a time where we need to mature and have perspective, and so we're not stuck in childish ways of thinking, but there is experiences that we have in our upbringing that that have perhaps more of an effect than we wish to admit. And so as we look at the scriptures now, we're going to Look at some stories from scriptures, some Scripture that could help us in this area. Okay? But really what we have here, though, is a little bit of a problem for us as a church. Because the thing that matters to us as we are being raised up in the Lord, as we're growing up, is, is most, for most of our lives, experience matters far more than what is said. Okay? Experience of something is far more important than hearing about something. So it doesn't help to be told about the love of God. If we haven't experienced love ourselves, then we're not going to understand it. Does that make sense? This is a huge problem for us in the church if we've never experienced something like love. In the Scriptures, if you could turn to 2 Timothy, I want to show you one or two Scriptures, and I'm going to be, most of the Scriptures that I'm going to look at are actually going to come from the first letter to Timothy and the second letter to Timothy. But if we can start in the second letter to Timothy, we're going to read in a moment. Um, there's two Bible characters that I'm, talk, I'm going to talk about tonight that, that their upbringing or their parents, the way their parents raised them had a significant effect in their lives. And I want to show you just in the scriptures how important that was and that maybe there will be an adjustment in the way that we think about these things. Okay. And the first person is Timothy. So we're in the letter of Timothy. So just some background on Timothy is he was picked out by Paul when he was a young man. And Paul raised him up to be a pastor. And at the time of this letter, he was doing ministry in Ephesus. And these letters are written to Timothy. And Timothy was an interesting guy. He came from a biracial family in that his father was Greek and his mother was Jewish. Okay, and Timothy, the way that the Jewish tradition worked was that he would have been raised Jewish because the Jewish religion came through the mother side. So Timothy, in a sense, had a mother who was Jewish, one religion, and his father was Greek, a different religion. So he was in a family where it was different culture between the two parents, but also different religions between the two parents. Parents. And at this time, when Paul is busy writing to Timothy, there were many young Jewish men that had been raised up in the Jewish faith. But because of circumstances, political circumstances at the time, because of the Roman Empire, many had departed from the faith. So they were trained up till about, they were around 12 in the scriptures, in the knowledge of God. They learned a lot about God, but many young Jewish men were departing from the faith. They were departing from the way that their parents had raised them or taught them about the Scriptures. And Paul is writing to Timothy, and Timothy is young in the church, but Paul commends him for something. And this first part we want to look at is in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. And Paul says to Timothy that I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul, as he writes to Timothy, he says, That I am encouraged because the faith that I see in you is the same faith that I saw in your grandmother and your mother. And these are the two minor characters that we want to look at a little bit. This is Lois and Eunice. And Lois was Timothy's grandmother, and it seems that Paul had some interaction with Lois a few years earlier in the ministry and had some, um, uh, um, some interaction around her conversion. He perhaps didn't convert her, but was involved in a church with her. And so he knew Timothy's grandmother and he knew Timothy's mother, who both seemed to be people that were Jewish and had become Christians. And so remember, the early church, most were made up of Jewish people that had studied the scriptures and they recognized that Jesus was the son of God. And so it seems that Timothy's mother and grandmother were both believers. And Paul in this scripture is writing to Timothy and he is commending him for his faith, but he is attributing it it to his grandmother and his mother. It seems that Paul was impressed with the way that Lois and Eunice had raised Timothy. They had raised him in such a way that when he came of age, he too chose the faith. Okay. Now what we know is that the Jewish boys, they would have studied the scriptures in their head. They would have been taught about how God is. They would have learnt about his character. But at that time, many people that had been In that stage, they were sitting in church. They would have called it synagogue. So they would have been raised, hearing about all these wonderful things from God. Most of them were leaving their faith when they got older. Because what was happening is there was a disconnect between what they were hearing about God and what they were experiencing. And Timothy was different. Paul points to his upbringing, to Lois and Eunice, who were believers, and something that they did While they were raising Timothy, that helped him to keep his faith. Does that make sense? If we read a little bit further on in the letter, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 14, and you can read with me if you want, he said, but as for you, he's talking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, your grandmother and mother, and how from infancy... You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Okay? So later on, Paul again talks about Timothy's upbringing. He points to Timothy's ability to stand. Now, Timothy was one of the pillars in the church. I think it's fair to say that Paul was quite proud of Timothy. Timothy was Paul's second in command. He was the one who Paul sent to deal with if there was an issue in the church. It was Paul's representative. And I think everyone knows someone who's untrustworthy. You know, you might smile to them, but you put your wallet a little bit deeper in your pocket when they're around. Or more probably, more realistically, it would be someone that you check up on often. You ask them to do something, they say yes, and you just know you have to double check, because it's probably not going to be done. Everyone knows someone like that? If you don't, you're probably that person. <laughs> and... Uh, Timothy was not that. He had built up a reputation as someone that Paul saw was trustworthy. So Paul said, "I can." I can and, 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 and what was amazing was that he was young, but he was trustworthy. And Paul attributes this character, this character trait that he has, this trustworthiness, this incredible ability to stand in a world where many of his other contemporaries were falling by the wayside. He attributes that to Lois and Eunice his parents, the parents that were involved in his life. In this stage, it was a mother and a grandmother. And at this point, it should also be encouraging because in our nation, we have many single mothers. And it seems that um, Eunice was a single mother. She's not mentioned. In fact, in that culture, it would have uh, been normal to mention the father. But the very fact that Paul doesn't mention the father seems that it seems that uh, the mother had the bigger role here. And so that's actually why we're talking about it on Mother's Day. And so it should be encouraging for even the, the single mothers in the house that, that there was a huge effect that they were able to have in, this, in, um, in their child's life, even in an imperfect situation. Some commentators say that it was because his father was a Greek that he wasn't ancient, and others say that he died. So we're not really sure what Timothy's family situation is, But clearly his faith was brought about through the teaching and the experiences of his mother. And so we can see that godly mothers and grandmothers, they can have a huge impact on the kingdom. And that through instructing Timothy in the word from very young, Lewis and Eunice, they discipled a young man that would become very influential in Paul's life and in the New Testament church. But we need to ask ourselves, what made Timothy different from the other young men? Why would Paul commend these parents, this mother and grandmother, and not all the other Jewish mothers? Now, we have to do a little bit of guesswork, but again, I want to draw you back to this idea of experience. Psalm 34 verse 8 says that we need to taste and see that the Lord is good. It seems that Timothy was trustworthy because of the modeling that Eunice and Lois did in his life. Part of this idea of teaching and experience, when Jesus talked about experience and knowing the truth, when you look into the Greek, when Jesus talks about us knowing something, the Greek word that he gives, is is the picture is not just knowing something in your head, but knowing something in your heart. Experiencing it. Paul uses similar language when he talks about how Eunice and Lois disciple Timothy, he wasn't, they weren't just teaching him head knowledge. They were giving him heart knowledge. It seems that, yes, they did teach the Scriptures to Timothy, but they also showed him something of God. Now, you can know a lot about God, but not know God at all. Did you know that? There were people in Jesus' time that had that problem. Any guess who they were? It was the Pharisees. Whenever you want to ask yourself, who's the villain in a Bible story when Jesus is involved, it's probably the Pharisees, nine times out of ten. Pharisees or Judas? One of the two, okay? So, so there's an you know, easy mark. So we've got the Pharisees, and one of the great issues that Jesus had with the Pharisees was that they knew God in their head, but they were far from Him in their heart. That all this knowledge, they were so involved in religious activity, but the concrete experience of who God was. They didn't have it. They missed the mark. And so what's interesting is that you can raise someone and teach them the Bible. You can make them recite the Bible every single day, verse after verse. They can know the Bible more than anyone in the world and not know love. And God is love. So they might not know God. So knowing the Bible doesn't equal necessarily knowing God. The Pharisees knew the Bible more than anyone, yet they didn't. No God. And something that Lois and Eunice did um, was different from what all the other Jewish mothers were doing. It set Timothy apart. And I want to suggest that it was the way they modeled God's love and not just taught about God's love that made the difference. I've got some clues in Scripture in case you think I'm making it up. Paul was dealing with a bit of a religious spirit in the church that Timothy was dealing in. If you Read in the first letter of Timothy, if you turn to First Timothy 3 verse 5, you go a little bit earlier, um, the pharisaical thinking had crept into the church, and there were many people in the early church, like today, that had missed this emphasis. They thought that religious activity was what mattered. How much you go to church, how many prayers you say, how many Bible verses you can quote, and they had missed the very heart of God. In fact, at this stage, I wonder if you can believe it, but some people had completely abandoned their families for the sake of the church. They had used a religious excuse. So what they'd done is they'd moved out of their house. Some of them had left their wives and moved in with other women. They used, and they used the worst kind of excuse, which is a religious excuse, to justify an obviously damaging action So their families were destitute, their families were starving, but they were at the prayer meeting. And when someone challenged them and asked them about it, they said, no, I'm doing it for God. You can't question me because I'm here for God. This is horrible. It only happens in the early church, doesn't it? (laughs) There was a Uh, In the last five years, you can look it up. It was on an e-news report. This happens more frequently than you think. But in KwaZulu Natal, no, sorry, the Eastern Cape, there was the, the prophet Moses who claimed to be Jesus. He was a cult leader, very recent, in South Africa in the last five years. And one of his distinctives was targeting older people to join his cult. And the way they would get in is to give him their pension. And so you can see the news reports as they interview the destitute families and the justification from these older men saying, no, 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 I'm giving my pension money to this prophet because God says I must, okay? Religious excuse for an obviously terrible choice. In 1 Timothy 3 verse 5, Paul is talking about one of the requirements for leaders. Some people wanted to be leaders in the church Yet they'd abandoned their families. And he says, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Paul is correcting a wrong viewpoint. He's challenging the religious spirit. He says, you guys being so religious, all this activity, but what's going on with your family? In 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, he says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul cuts at the heart of this religious mindset, the religious excuse box that stops us from fulfilling some of our primary duties, our primary responsibilities. Sometimes this religious thinking or this religious spirit can we use it to get away from something that is difficult. So say there's a difficult situation at home. We might want to run away from that situation and come to church because it's an escape. Yet we miss the dealing with the situation. And when the situation gets worse and worse and we tell ourselves, but, I'm, but I, how, I, I'm doing something for God. I'm working for God. He's going to take care of this situation. This is false thinking. This is false religious thinking. Sometimes this religious spirit or thinking points to some things Jesus says. You know, Jesus, once in Luke 14, verse 26, when talking to some people that don't want to commit to him, says, unless you hate your father and mother, you cannot follow me. This is often used by very religious people saying, the family is not important. Working for God is important. Being at church is important. Yet this is obviously taken out of context. Jesus, in fact, at that stage is challenging the very people that do this, people that make many excuses for the terrible things that are going on in their own families, which they have control over. In fact, Jesus himself saw family as important and the responsibilities that we have towards family as quite important. In his dying breath, one of Jesus' main concerns was, in fact, his mother. He said two things. The one was to forgive, forgive them, forgive the people that crucified him because they know not what they do. But the other thing he did, and you can read about it in John 19 verse 27, we won't turn there, is he looked towards his mother and then he looked towards the disciple John. And he knew that he was going to die and he was the eldest son. His father had died and so he was no longer He was the one who was responsible. And one of the last things Jesus does is he gives the responsibility of looking after his mother to his best friend. This is something that was very important to Jesus, that he took the time in his dying breath to make sure that his mother was being looked after. Now, Paul has a nice uh, Greek word for these excuses this idea that uh, we can just come to church and neglect our family responsibilities. It's called nonsense. Um, (laughs) you see, we have this, we can have watery religion, we can have rituals, we can have practices, we can have events, but concrete love trumps watery religion every time. You cannot tell a child, you cannot explain to a child, uh, you cannot explain away the lack of concrete love to a child. You cannot say to a child who who has a parent that is not present, you cannot make excuses for it. They will have an absence in their life because the parent is not present. The only way to rectify that is to be present. There's no cheat. You cannot pray it away. You cannot theologize it away. You cannot come up with a scripture to stop that very real fact. Does that make sense? I think it does. And so when I think of Lois and Eunice, I must say I relate them back to my own parents. People that were faithful not in just teaching God's Word, but showing God's Word. Giving an experience of God. And, I, and I, in my own life, it made these things easier. There was a connection between head knowledge and heart experience. And so as I read about the character of the biblical God, I could not just understand it. I could believe it and experience it. And so it was this easy connection. But maybe you're here tonight and and, and it's not so easy. And I want to address that for a moment, okay? There is hope. Now, if you're in a place where your parents hindered your experience of God, the Scriptures are clear. There is no perfect parent that our perfect father is Father God. And so there's a time in all of our lives where we need to, Look at our parents as models of God's love, but obviously experience God's love for itself. So if you're in a place like that, one of the greatest hindrances to experiencing God's love is unforgiveness towards a parent. Now, I'm not going to go into all the different circumstances, but I'm just going to say that if you are here tonight and whatever your parent did, whether it was on purpose or not on purpose... It hindered your experience of God. So whether they were very religious and they were hypocrites, or they were just very religious and it was difficult for you, or they were not religious at all and they were not there, or they were wonderful. If any of these things hindered your experience of God, then I want to invite you to pray with me, just to pray a prayer of forgiveness. No one to stand or anything, but I believe the Lord wants us. We've prayed that already tonight, but now that you've heard, I really think the Lord wants us to forgive because we can spend our whole life blaming our parents for what they did, but God doesn't want us to stay there. If you realize that it's had an effect or that you've been missing something, God wants to fill the gap, but it starts with forgiveness. So you can pray after me if that's you. Lord, I want to say I'm sorry if I have judged my parents. Whether I should have done it or I shouldn't have, whether they were right or wrong, I pray that you would forgive me. Lord, and I pray that you will forgive them. I forgive them. And so under your breath, you can just say, Lord, I forgive my mom or I forgive my dad or if it was someone else in your life. Amen. It's the first place I want to just tell a quick story. This is around gratefulness to our parents. Because we're going somewhere, we're almost done. Really feel like the Lord wants to begin a process of filling that gap in our lives. But also set us on a course where we too can be the parents God wants us to be. If you're a parent or you're going to be a parent. There's a story told of a young man. He was around 16. And uh, he was getting into a lot of trouble. Rebellion at school, um, getting into trouble with the parents and the teachers. And his dad was a traveling evangelist. He would travel the world. He was world famous. He would preach the gospel. And this young boy, as he hit the age of 16, really started getting uh, rebelling badly. In fact, he was very close to being expelled from his school. And so his father, this is a true story, was very successful in his ministry. In fact, under him, many people were coming to the Lord. Yet, he spent much time away from home. And so there was a price that his family was paying. And it was becoming apparent in his son's rebellion. And so as this evangelist wrestled with the Lord, with the call that he had on his life, he saw all the miracles that were happening and the people getting saved. He said, surely, Lord, this is of you. This is so important. I can't go home now. But Lord, my family, my family, they, they need help. Lord, send someone to help them. I can't. I'm busy doing your work. And the Lord spoke to the evangelist and he said, you know, I can send anyone to preach the gospel but I have only one person who can be your son's father, and that's you. And so he immediately quit the ministry, went home to be with his family, because he realized that the time away, no matter how much he justified it, it wasn't right. He had a first calling to be a father to his children. Of course, that son has a name, and his name is James Dobson. That 16-year-old grew up, and he started a ministry called Focus on the Family. I wonder if you've heard of it. It's a world-famous, successful ministry that helps families. And part of his call into ministry was the fact that his dad was willing to sacrifice to be a father to him. And in that moment, raised him up. Changed many lives, many families because of this. You see, there's a calling in our lives, a primary calling and a secondary calling. And, you know, we want to look at the primary callings, and these are the things where we cannot be replaced. We don't want to allow something that seems important. And, you know, kingdom work is important. We need to do it. But um, at, at uh, our children's pastor here at Hatfield was involved in a study a few years ago, which they called the 10-14 window. And the 10-14 window is some studies that have shown that, that the time where most people commit their lives to the Lord is under the age of 14, between the ages of 10 and 14. So your greatest chance of getting someone to become a Christian is at that age. So if you miss it, then it becomes exponentially harder. And so one of the ways to think about parenthood or primary responsibilities is the most effective form of evangelism. If you could realize that parenthood, when it is done right, can be the greatest form of evangelism. One of the reasons I know the Lord today is not because of a sermon that was preached, but it was because of the love that I received as a child. It allowed me to come into the arms of the Father. And so sometimes we get the lines crossed with this religious thinking. But really, if the Lord has a primary responsibility in your life that cannot be replaced from someone else, we cannot excuse it away. We cannot pray it away. The Lord wants us... To take that responsibility seriously. And so tonight, if you are in a place where you realize that um, you need to take a certain commitment more seriously, and this is just a moment we're going to pray, and if you maybe feel like you need to spend some more time with someone that you haven't been spending time with, this can of course be a marriage, this can of course be a child or even from a child to parents. We all have primary responsibilities. And yes, we have callings. Yes, we have things in our lives that are quite important. But the Lord wants us to take those things seriously. We don't want to miss out on these key moments in our lives. Let's pray. And if you want to make that adjustment, you can do that now. Lord, if you would like us to make an adjustment, if there's a space where we're spending far too much time, even if it's church, if there is a responsibility that is taking us away from what you have primarily called us to, we repent, Lord, and we, we decide to take that seriously. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, and just the final word, and this would be the encouragement going into this week, is let us consider that if something like parenthood, and this is to advocate parenthood, um, If something like parenthood is so important, we should consider committing to something. The reason it's important is it's a structure that allows us to give concrete love. If you're in a place where you have not received concrete love, I would encourage you to journey with the Lord. The Lord is faithful. So although no one can replace a father, the Lord can come in and bring about healing, but it takes about time. And so the Lord's plan A is the family. He wants you to receive love, affirmation, and security in the family. He wants you to give that in your family. But if for some reason that was not possible, the Lord will then make a plan B. It's just a lot more difficult. And this is where church comes in, and this is where other people in your life come in. And so there are maybe some of you tonight that you didn't have a father or mother, but another person played that role in your life. And it's just a time to be grateful to them. But perhaps you are that person. And you can play that role in someone's life. To step in and uh, where where there's been a tragedy or that is not possible, the Lord can use us to try and bring about that affirmation, that love and security. And if the Lord is speaking to you about that, um, then I would encourage you to act on it. Lastly, as we close... And I'm going to pray for us as we go just to think for a moment of some of the challenges that we're facing in the world. Most of the studies show a direct connection between crime and fatherlessness. That many criminals, especially violent criminals, have not had a father figure in the family. The breakdown of family has caused many indirect problems in our society. Imagine if we as a church took our family responsibility seriously. That we, if we were parents, that we would give to our children what they need from us. That they would receive love and security. That they would receive time for us. How would it affect their lives if we didn't miss that part? Some of you will be parents someday. It's an opportunity to do that. But if we think about our other primary responsibilities is there places that you could step into and God is asking you to do that. So just imagine for a moment a world. How would our world look, how would South Africa look different if fathers were fathers and mothers were mothers? Do you think it would change something? Okay. So one of the places to start is, of course, the church. And so we as followers of Jesus, as we are serious about this discipleship journey, Paul addressed this in the church Timothy was leading because the religious focus was having a huge effect. People were destitute, people were insecure, and so he wanted to bring about a correction to say you need to focus on the things that are important. Concrete love is going to trump watery religion every single time. It is much better to show someone love than to tell them about love. And so we as a community, if we became a community that were not focused on irrelevant things, religious things, but real things, concrete things, that if people in our community, they felt love. There are many lonely people in the community that need fathers and mothers, that need mentoring. They need real connection, real love. They need to experience what they never experienced as children. We can be a part of that, and we can be a part of a true kingdom community. I believe that's what Paul envisioned for us as a church, and I believe it's possible if we take it seriously. I'm going to pray for us for this week. Lord, thank you that you love us, and that you have showed us real love as you died on the cross, that it is concrete, and that we can see it, we can experience it. Help us to show this same love in our community. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.